Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. Episode 46, The Estonian SSR as an Exemplary Union Republic. From the book History of Estonia by Tonu Tonberg, Ein Messelu, Tonis Lukas, Matti Lauer, and Agu Payer. We have a lot to cover and only 30 minutes to do it, so let's get started. The political conditions in Estonia in the 1950s were influenced by two essential events. Firstly, Stalin's death in 1953. And second, the suppression of the uprising in Hungary by Soviet troops in 1956. The death of Stalin was followed by the so-called Thaw period in the Soviet Union. This made the liberalization of social life possible in almost all spheres. The process also affected the Estonian SSR. The suppression of the uprising in Hungary took away the last Estonian hope of assistance from the West in order to free itself from the Soviet occupation. The liberalization of political conditions, disappearance of the armed resistance struggle, recovery of the collective farm system, and a slight improvement in the living standards of the people facilitated the process of adjusting to the existing system. In the 1960s, saw bigger adjustment by the people. In the all-union perspective, the Estonian SSR became a kind of exemplary union republic, a showcase of the huge empire. The Estonian SSR was headed by the first secretary of the Central Committee of the ECP, Johannes Kabin. Kabin was in office for 28 years in total. He led the Estonian SSR and was born in 1905 in Kalvi Parish of Viru County. In 1910, the Cabin family left Estonia for St. Petersburg and from there moved to the Sassino settlement near St. Petersburg. There, his Komsomol and party career started. At the beginning of the 1930s, he was sent to the party to work in Siberia and then to study in Moscow. Later, he worked as a lecturer of Marxism-Leninism in an institute in Moscow. It is noteworthy that the great purge in the Soviet Union of the second half of the 1930s did not concern him, although the majority of communists who were Estonians were repressed. In February 1941, Cabin returned to Estonia to work in the party apparatus. Karatom and Cabin had contacts only at official level. In 1948, Cabin became the Secretary of Ideology of the ECP. Although he was not a supporter of Karatom, he did not appear to be one of those preparing the notorious 8th Plenary Session either. In March 1950, Cabin became the first man of the Estonian SSR, being approved by Moscow. This was the period when Stalinism enjoyed the zenith in the Soviet Union. Without any doubt, Cabin was more obedient to Moscow's orders than Karatom had been. However, he did not prove to be a passionate Stalinist, nor a man to carry out extreme Russification in the Estonian SSR, as local Stalinists who had supported him had hoped. Cabin did not accept their brisk but careless policy and did not support the idea of carrying out new deportations in the Estonian SSR. 
The fiercest of the Stalinists were those who soon lost their posts among the leadership of the ESSR instead. During his period in power, he carried out moderate policy of something called tacking, trying to be sufficiently Moscow-minded, but at the same time to consider the characteristic feature of Estonia. He was able to adjust himself to the political conditions of Stalinism, the thaw period and stagnation, and to preserve his post. Cabin developed good contacts with Nikita Khrushchev, who took notice of his dissent. This enabled the Estonian SSR to achieve certain economic advantages and helped to avoid some of the extreme experiments of the Khrushchev period. At the invitation of Cabin, Khrushchev paid an unofficial visit to Estonia in 1954. In Cabin's period of office, the obligatory shipments of Estonian agricultural production into the central stock of the Soviet Union were moderate. Generally, the principle was the needs of the Estonian SSR were catered to first, and the rest of the production was sent to supply the Soviet Union. Therefore, the supply of foodstuffs was sufficient in the Estonian SSR during the 1960s and at the beginning of the following decade. The situation started to change during the period of office of Leonid Brezhnev, when compulsory shipments of the stock of the Soviet Union increased considerably. In carrying out his policy, Cabin mainly relied on moderate Estonians born in Russia. During his office, Alexei Murasep from 1951 to 61 and Walter Clausen from 1961 to 84 were chairman of the Council of Ministers. After August Jacobson, the post of chairman of the Presidium of, of Supreme Council was also held by Estonians born in Russia. Johann Eichfeld from 1958 to 61, Alexei Murasep from 1961 to 70, and Artur Vader from 1970 to 78. An essential feature of the internal policy of the Thaw period, which followed Stalin's death, was a partial making amends of the violence carried out, a rehabilitation of the local as well as all union level. In the Estonian SSR, the rehabilitation primarily meant restoring the honorable names of people who had been labeled Borgois nationalists. The process was initially very wary and became somewhat quicker only after the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in 1956, where Khrushchev denounced the personality cult of Stalin in his report. Rehabilitation in the Estonian SSR mainly concerned numerous groups of educated people who received the opportunity to return from mental exile to active creative work, but many creative people were no longer able to create anything. There were also no official disapproval of the policy of violence, only the mention of some, quote, minor mistakes in the activity of the ECP. This was connected with the fact that Cabin and many party soldiers who had come to power with him still held posts where they could shape the political life of the Estonian SSR. Only the fiercest Stalinist had been removed from the leadership of the Estonian SSR. Therefore, the, quote, thaw 
and the political atmosphere of the Estonian SSR was very careful and moderate to, in its extent. On the all-union scale, the death of Stalin stopped the action of the machine of violence. Next came the acquittal of those repressed, and their release from prisons, from the gulag camps, and from exile. More than 30,000 people who had been deported or arrested returned to Estonia. But the return home to their country did not mean full rehabilitation. Those repressed did not get back their property, and many of them were not allowed to return to their native home. Secret Organizations of Young People In the 1950s, the opposition movement changed its character. The struggle by Forest Brothers was replaced by the activity of a few small illegal youth groups. The secret organizations of young people, there were more than 30 in total, emerged mainly as a form of protest against compromise and acceptance of the Soviet system. The secret organizations of the period were characterized by strict discipline, constitutions, handwritten leaflets, oaths, and the collection of weapons. The Forest Brothers movement and literature and memories of the period of independence served as examples. One of these secret organizations was the Association of Estonian Nationalists. One of the leading day politicians of present-day Estonia, N. Tarto, who had just recently died this last July, was a member of this organization. The illegal youth organizations were not widely supported. The regime in power, or rather its security service, stifled the youth movement at the beginning of the 1960s using extensive repression as well as preventative actions. At the end of the decade, the illegal youth protest revived to a certain extent. Some groups did not follow the example of the independence period, but the idea that the enemy of the enemy is my friend. These were pro-fascist groupings whose members idealized fascist ideology, regimes and external attributes. It was easy for the security forces, even from a propagandist perspective, to do away with such single small organizations. Liquidation of the pro-fascist youth groups finished the illegal youth movement in the Estonian SSR. By the beginning of the 1950s, the agriculture of the Soviet Union was totally corrupted. This caused the leaders of the state, who took office after Stalin's death, to rectify the former agricultural policy. This had a positive influence on development of the collective farm system in the Estonian SSR. In 1953, the compulsory sales norms for agricultural production were decreased. Prices were raised and the tax burden on farmers' households was reduced. In 1954, collective farmers began to receive pay for their work in the Estonian SSR, part of which was in cash. At the end of the 1950s, this arrangement became general and the compulsory sales norms of agricultural production for private households were abolished. The centers of agricultural equipment and tractors were liquidated and their machines and equipment were sold to collective farms. This helped to make more efficient use of agricultural machinery. The changes gave rural people more freedom to decide their own affairs 
and facilitated the recovery of agriculture from the ruin of the period after collectivization. The following years also saw improvement of professional training of the leading staff of collective and state farms. An important role was played in the process by the Estonian Academy of Agriculture, which was established in 1951, as well as development of the network of agricultural vocational schools. The restoration of agriculture was a difficult process. The grain production of the 1950s was at the level of the last quarter of the previous century, and it was not until the end of the following decade that it reached its pre-war level. The same situation applied to milk production. The production of meat achieved the pre-war level slightly earlier. The experiments of Khrushchev paralyzed the development of agriculture. Among these were the vernalization of seeds, which meant cooling, compulsory growing of corn, expansion of industrialization. In the 1950s, an extensive development of industry to meet the needs of the great state continued in the Estonian SSR. Beside the oil shale industry, increasing attention was attached to developing mechanical engineering, metalworking, and textile industry, and fishing. The oil shale industry received the directive of producing fuel and energy to meet all union needs. This meant that increasingly larger amounts of valuable oil shale were mined to fire power stations and to produce gas. Two new power stations, the Baltic and Estonian power stations, were put into operation. They were switched into the energy system of the Northwestern Soviet Union. More than half of the energy produced was sent out of the Estonian SSR, mainly to the Leningrad and Peskov provinces and to Riga. The price for this exported electricity was lower than it was paid for inside the Estonian SSR. Using oil shale in the chemical industry was not considered worthy of attention. At the end of the 1950s, extensive development of equipment manufacturing and industrial fishing began. The Estonian SSR received a large ocean fishing fleet. The maintenance bases and necessary coastal services were established. The growth of industry caused an increase in the industrial and civil construction. In the 1960s, several former large building materials enterprises, for example, the cement factory Punanekunda, were restored and new ones were established in Narva and Atme. In Tallinn and Tartu, new building material plants were founded. The development of industry still followed the extensive pattern, which meant that additional production units, new mines, establishments, etc., were created and the workforce for them was brought from other regions of the Soviet Union. In the 1950s, the influx of foreign workers was smaller than the immediate post-war years. But during the following decade, immigration grew considerably again. The direct result of the extensive development of industry in the Estonian SSR was that the proportion of workers among the population grew, reaching 60% by 1970. The arrival of numerous workers of foreign descent in Estonia decreased the proportions of Estonians among the population 
and accelerated urbanization. Public officials of the Estonian SSR had practically no say in the development of the industrial policy of the Union Republic. Because the majority of the enterprises were subjected directly to the all-Union ministries. During the period of Soviets of national economy from 1957 to 65, economic administration became more flexible as the majority of industry was subjected to the control of the Union Republics. These were years of economic growth in the Estonian SSR. In 1965, economic reform abolished the Soviets of national economy, and gradually the centralized economy was restored. Its internal resources, though, were finally exhausted in the 1970s. Contact with the Western World During the reign of Stalin, the entire Soviet empire was isolated from the rest of the world by the Iron Curtain. Therefore, it was also difficult in the Estonian SSR to receive truthful information about events happening in the world. Some of the main channels of information from this period were foreign radio stations, some of which soon started to transmit broadcasts in Estonian. The first of these was Voice of America, which started its activities in 1951 from New York. This was an official channel of information from the United States of America. The information connected with Estonia, primarily information about the life and activities of Estonian immigrants in America, could not exceed 15% of the broadcast time. In the years 1953 to 58, Estonian language broadcasts were also transmitted from Munich. Simultaneously, other radio stations directed towards Eastern European countries and the Soviet Union and financed by the USA were active in Munich. These were Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty. Radio Liberty did not initially transmit broadcasts to the former Baltic states. In 1970, a Baltic section was formed at Radio Liberty, which also began to, uh, to broadcast in the Estonian language. In 1983, that section was made independent and a year later was amalgamated with Radio Free Europe. The aims of the Estonian language broadcast of the foreign radio stations was to transmit uncensored information about events in the world and to give news commentary, analysis, and reports of events taking place in the USSR and the Estonian SSR. The radio station had unrestricted access to the international media, news agencies, and press of the world. Feedback from the home country was usually small, so they had to guess at what subjects and themes would interest people in Estonia. In spite of the fact that transmissions were constantly disrupted, the broadcast of the foreign radio stations were an essential source of information in the Estonian SSR, and they helped to preserve mental opposition to the regime that was reigning. During Khrushchev's thaw period, direct contacts with the outside world began to be gradually restored. Researchers in the Estonian SSR started to study fashionable sciences such as psychology, sociology, cybernetics, and etc., and some of them managed to participate in international symposia. 
In Estonia, the Western youth movements of the 1960s, jazz and rock music such as the Beatles, the hippie movement, and modern art trends, abstractionism, etc., found followers. An important window to the West for Estonians was neighboring Finland. The broadcasts of Finnish television could be seen in north of Estonia, and the sea connection on the Tallinn-Helsinki route, which was opened in 1965, brought a relatively large number of foreign tourists into the Estonian SSR, which was rather unusual at the time. They were the first to introduce Western consumer culture and consumer goods into Estonia. For the rest of the Soviet Union, Estonia became a kind of Western oasis. The Soviet West, or Sovetsky Zapad, the external westernization of the Estonian SSR, was mainly expressed by gaining material well-being. The so-called trafficker of consumer goods became the key word of the period. This lured many people from other regions of the Soviet Union to move to Estonia. The living standards and level of consumption in the Estonian SSR indeed surpassed the average indicators of the Soviet Union. The drawback to this was that younger and middle-aged generations adjusted fairly well to the Soviet system. The Golden Sixties At the beginning of the 1960s, the cultural life of the Estonian SSR became more animated, and a new generation of educated people came into creative activity. Political conditions were also liberalized considerably. The changes, which had started in Moscow, reached Estonia after a delay, but were more extensive and longer lasting. The disappearance of the atmosphere of fear and physical violence of the Stalin era brought an elementary personal liberty to society, which in turn made people more optimistic about the future. The openness of society increased along with self-realization of people in all spheres of life, including political life. In the golden 60s, a multifaceted generation of so-called national communists developed, who were convinced that the existing political regime could be modified to make it more humane, democratic, and fit for decent living. They tried to avoid open discussions of questions of power and ideology and turn more attention to national culture. They hoped to improve the situation of the Estonian people and that of themselves by the internal reorganization of the existing regime according to their vision. They called on young people to join the party, to make a career, and to take the leading position in the party. The culmination of this particular Komsomol organization was in the years 1967 to 68 at Tartu University. At the same time, an adjustment and accommodation with the liberalized conditions continued in Estonia and a general atmosphere of, it is possible to live this way too, spread around the country. In the Estonian SSR, the thaw period actually continued until 1968, when Soviet tanks put an end to the attempts to build socialism with a human face in Czechoslovakia. That also broke the hopes of the Estonian National Communists of reforming the Soviet regime from the inside. 
The suppression of the Prague Spring also indicated a turn in the Estonian SSR. Administrative steps were taken to calm down the centers of free thinking, Tartu University. The leaders of the Komsomol organizations were replaced, as well as the rector, the scientist Fyodor Clement, whose post was given to a loyal guardian of ideology, Arnold Cope. Sometime later, the Laboratory of Sociology of the university, which had dealt with the problems of society, was dissolved. Ideological oppression increased and censorship strengthened in society. A slow but continuous stagnation of power began, which did not accept the ideals of the golden 60s. Many representatives of the generation found self-realization in literature, research, arts, and other spheres of life. But there were some that gave up their former principles and started to serve the reigning regime loyally. Suppression of the secret youth organizations did not entirely disrupt the opposition movements in Estonia. From the second half of the 1960s, the former illegal youth movement was replaced by democratic movements, which were ideologically and politically more supported, but various in their forms. At this time, simultaneously with the reactionary attacks, a considerable dissident movement arose, directed against the ruling regime. Different movements directed against the regime, which had emerged in the Estonian SSR, tried to establish contact with the dissidents throughout the Soviet Union and to be aware of events happening in the world. The democratic movements did not involve only Estonians, but also other nationalities living in Estonia. Their common aim was the democratization of the USSR. Thus, the main emphasis was not on nationality, but on democracy. While earlier opposition movements had been mainly Estonian-centered, now the fact was considered that no nation enslaved could achieve independence when fighting alone. The conclusion was drawn that the independence of Estonia was also an international issue. The activity of the organizations of Estonians abroad made a big contribution to spreading information about the Baltic issue and the international arena. In 1972, the Estonian National Front and the Estonian Democratic Association composed a letter to the General Assembly of the United Nations claiming restoration of the independence of Estonia, acceptance of Estonia as a member of UN, withdrawal of the Soviet army from Estonia, and so on. The appeal did not actually arrive in the West until 1974. The Western countries did not react to it, as they had not to several others of the kind. But such applications still had an indirect influence. Thus, the striving of Estonians towards democratic ideals was demonstrated to the world, and Estonians abroad were given an impulse to act more rapidly. The Baltic emigres cooperated to establish a common organization in the 1960s, Baltic Appeal to the United Nations, Batun, B-A-T-U-N, which began to apply for fulfillment of the memorandum sent to the United Nations. The activity of Batun contributed to the process whereby Western countries did not accept the occupation of the Baltic countries, even in the conditions of detente at the beginning of the 1970s. 
Success in easing the tension was achieved in 1975, when in Helsinki, the final act of the Conference on Security and Cooperation in Europe was signed. As the USSR had also signed the act, it was hoped that Moscow would follow human rights more consistently. This also encouraged the dissidents of the Soviet Union, who formed the so-called Helsinki groups in many places, to monitor how human rights were followed in the Soviet Empire. In the Estonian SSR, the democratic movements had been suppressed before the Helsinki Final Act was signed. And that is where we will leave our narrative for this episode. This will be the last episode for several weeks, as my family and I are leaving for Estonia later this weekend. We will be in the country visiting family and friends over the Christmas holiday. My wife has plans to meet up with some of her old friends on Tuesday, December 21st at a nearby restaurant in Old Town. So I'm going to say hello to them all and work my way over to my favorite pub in Tallinn, Hellhunt, to have a couple of drinks at around 7.30. If you would like to stop by and say hello. If you do decide to show up, you might be the only one there. Not really sure. If you would like to see what I look like so that you can recognize me, you can follow me on Twitter, where my profile pic is accurate. I haven't been putting much on the History of Estonia Facebook page, but over the Christmas holiday, I will probably add some more pictures from the trip. So, I hope to see some of you, and until next time, Nagamisini.